Hello guys and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to bring today's episode to you because I sat down with the incredible Blake Worrell Thompson, who is a highly sought after lifestyle and performance coach and is very reputable within the coaching space. Blake helps people free themselves from their limiting conditions to find their potential purpose and fulfillment. He's been in the coaching space for over 17 years. And within that time, he has worked with everyone from world-class entertainers and professional athletes to organization and entrepreneurs. In today's episode, Blake shared a lot of his own vulnerabilities and struggles and how he overcame adversity to get where he is today. He also speaks to how we can use our struggles to actually light a fire within us to find our passion and purpose. We then also discuss how you can find your purpose and what your purpose can actually look like and how things such as passion, purpose, love and connection may differ for the masculine and feminine. We also discuss a load of other topics from communicating your needs when you're going through an up level, how to hold space for someone when they're going through a really tough time, guiding the masculine towards doing the work and mindset beyond motivation. I hope you guys enjoy the episode and I'm sure you're going to get so much out of it. Hi, I'm Jessie, your host of the Jessie Williams podcast. I'm a personal trainer and women's online health coach, bringing you all things health, wellness, money, mindset, and just life in general. If you want to learn, laugh, and up-level your life, this is a podcast for you. Each episode, we'll talk habits, tips, tricks, and big ideas to nourish your mind and inspire you to create your dream life by design. Let's dive in. I am so excited to welcome an amazing guest to the podcast today. So welcome, Blake. Beautiful. Thanks very much for having me, Jessie. I would love if you could start off by just giving our audience just a quick little rundown of who you are, what you do, just like paint us a really beautiful picture of Blake. Yeah. Um, Well, I started in the health and fitness space. I was a fitness trainer for... 15 years, which you would know in that space puts me in the dinosaur category. Mm. Um, And in the last kind of probably 12 to 18 months of that, I, it really started to kind of die on me. And I guess the good thing is that, you know, to find something that you're passionate around about for, you know, 13, 14 years is amazing um, in itself, but yet really kind of died in me in that last 12 months. And you know, probably a few years prior to that, I really wanted to start to have a big impact than the impact I was having with the sets, reps and, you know, the steamed broccoli that is the uh, the health and fitness space and started really exploring human behaviour on a number of levels of like how do I get, you know, these guys to get more out of themselves but also how do I make sense of, you know, my, myself um, and what's working for me and, and what's not. And at that stage, a lot of pieces weren't necessarily working all that well. So I started that process and that was a really like, nice transition for me, albeit, you know, quite a unsettling transition into the coaching space. And for me, you know, the coaching space is, is kind of phenomenal from, I guess, from a performance and lifestyle point of view of really understanding humans on a deep level, you know, and how I can kind of support them in their relationships, making the most out of themselves, having more success, more fulfillment, whatever that looks like. Um, and now, yeah, I find myself happily grounded in the coaching space. That's absolutely incredible. And I think um, speaking to statistics, especially in the health and wellness space, I think it's something like 
over 70% of people don't last longer than five years. So to hear that you've stuck it out for such a long time and I've kind of had a similar journey in that you've probably found the same thing is so many people will struggle with their health and their fitness if they can't bring in that, you know, human behavior element, the mindset component on all of that kind of stuff, which is really cool. And I absolutely love the work that you've been doing. And uh, I think it's absolutely needed, especially in the space with men, which is really cool. I don't think there's enough of that. And something else I love about watching your journey is how transparent you are about some of the very uh, difficult moments that you've been through and the vulnerability of you sharing that and how that shaped you. So I would love if you would like be open to sharing, I guess, some of your most pivotal moments that you think that, you know, were perhaps really difficult, but have maybe shaped who you are today. Yeah, it's, um, I think firstly, you know, one of the things for me with social media is while everyone has the best intention, it still does paint a very um, pretty picture for most of us, especially, you know, those that kind of use social media as an outlet for, you know, business or the profile, whatever it may be. So for me, it's really important to continue to kind of humanise and normalise the struggle, especially for people who, you know, might be looking from the outside in thinking that things are all kind of rosy and, you know, we all have our, our struggles. And I think one of the challenges really in this, you know, the social media space and I guess where we're going with the collective, which is, you know, somewhat scary is this delusional um, matrix almost of perfectionism. And, you know, social media really glorifies that. And it's all, you know, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, it's all bullshit. Mm. And, you know, for some of us, we, we, you know, we really don't want to be put on pedestals because that just kind of leads to disappointment as well. So for me, it's really about humanising and normalising the struggle. One, to have other people feel less shame about whatever's not working with them. But two, also potentially to um, normalise their struggle. And, you know, the reason I think that's also valuable for me now coming out the other side of it is because that was a really important part for me when I was in the thick of it. And even, you know, when I look back, really my upbringing, you know, when I was really having some struggles, whether it was, you know, as part of my childhood, I'd always turn to some kind of motivational you know, video or whatever it might have been back in those days that helped me, um, I guess, see that, you know, all these thought leaders and, and whoever it might have been that I looked up to also at some stage were on their last legs or homeless or sleeping on the couch, whatever it may be. And in that, it gave me a lot of hope that, you know, no matter what um, I was struggling with, other people had been here as well. So that's the first thing in terms of, I guess, why I'm very um, open and transparent about it. I guess in terms of the actual ins and outs, the the upbringing for me was super rocky and, you know, I'm really mindful of it now, but for for me, home was the most unsafe place. And, you know, I think if there's one thing that every child deserves, it's that, you know, no matter what's going on in their world, is that their home is a safe place for them where they can kind of retreat, you know, if everything else is breaking down. So that, you know, if you look into kind of the imprint period, which is zero to seven and the impact that that has on who you become as an adult, it's significant. And, you know, without kind of putting too much pressure on, you know, any parent that's listening, I really think there's a lot to be said for understanding the impact of 
you know, conscious parenting and that imprint and, and the effect that it's going to have, you know, on your kids down the track. So that was kind of where it started. It was a really rocky period, you know, a lot of physical abuse, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of kind of dysfunction in the family and the impact that that had for me wasn't really realised until probably the last five years. But I guess the piece that um, is probably more recent was really kicked off with me filing for bankruptcy in my business um, three years ago, a couple of weeks actually. I celebrated my three years um, two weeks ago. And, you know, only prior probably six months to that had I started studying NLP. So for those that don't know what that neuro-linguistic programming, which is really understanding the mind and, and your behaviours and the thoughts and the language that you use and what that actually says about, you know, your, your belief system. So, you know, it was probably six months before that action that I actually filed that I saw the writing on the wall and I was like, fuck, how did I get here? And for me, going through something like that wouldn't have been valuable unless I really unpacked how I got myself into that situation you know, to just consciously or sorry, to unconsciously just like, you know, fall into a little shame spiral and a pity party and just try to move on wouldn't have been that valuable. Like I really needed to unpack it and understand how one could get themselves into, you know, such a messy situation. So I've kind of spent three years really understanding and, you know, diving deep into anything and everything related to, you know, ego, addictions, limiting beliefs, the whole work that made up that. And what was interesting about that was that was the worst moment of my life. You know, I guess when I really have pride in my career and what I do and I take it so seriously to kind of, you know, have that that cross next to your name literally yeah. um, in everything that you do. Um, yeah, you, you pretty, your hands are pretty tied for three years when you when you file for bankruptcy. But to have that cross was, was really interesting and, that actually just became the start of what was a 15-month just complete deterioration. So I shut down my business after that. I moved to state. You know, I um, got fired from three jobs in six months. I applied for over 50 jobs. My car blew up. You know, parted ways with my girlfriend. I was a couple of days away from being homeless. And it just all kind of happened at once. And I guess for me, uh, you know, with my number one value being career, of all those things being really challenging, two things that really stood out was kind of feeling pretty lonely. And, you know, for anyone that's listening, the struggle, when, you, when you're struggling, it's hard. When you're struggling alone, it's fucking horrible. And the second part was just being directionless. You know, so when I closed down my business, you know, it was obviously uh, that my time had been done, like I was over it by that stage. But it was also this really messy transition of like knowing that I wanted to be in the coaching space, not really knowing what it looked like, and just 18 months of limbo. And, you know, I think to be honest, probably part of it was exacerbated by the fact that I'd smelt the roses, you know, in terms of I knew how good it felt to be aligned and to really have passion. Mm. Um, and for those that feel like they're floating, you know, some people have been floating for 10, 15 years and still trying to work out what they are doing. And you know, it's an uncomfortable place. I think it's probably more polarising when you experience the good. And it really got pretty kind of dark and warming down to the point where, you know, I really had a, a thought um, at, at a different at a stage through that 15 month where I was like, fuck, I get why blokes jump. Like I really thought to myself it'd be easier mm. if I just did that. I just I couldn't see a way out. And, you know, a few things I think probably helped me not make that call. 
one of them was known like, fuck, Blake, you've got a lot of tools. You know, like you've, you've, by that stage, I'd probably spent two, two and a half years studying human behaviour. So I was like, you've, okay, you've got some tools. You understand yourself pretty well. I mean, that journey never ends, but you understand yourself pretty well. You've got some tools. And I think the other thing that really kind of saved me from making a really bad decision was coming back to that piece of hope of like, mate, everyone, you know, all those thought leaders, everyone that you look up to has been in a similar position where they've been rock bottom and, you know, it might look different for everyone, but they've been rock bottom and they've found a way out of it. So I think those pieces really played a big role for me and I guess that's also part of why, you know, um, albeit feeling, you know, quite challenged at times sharing my story, I want to be able to kind of share that to, you know, anyone else who might just need that little thought or that little you know, inkling of hope that helps them kind of stay, stay up and about and, and, you know, continue to find their path. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I think something really interesting, which that highlighted to me is just this idea how it's like, you've maybe heard the saying where it's like uh, two kids grew up with like an alcoholic father and one kid grows up and becomes an alcoholic and said, well, my dad was an alcoholic. And the other kid grows up and he's like the p- complete opposite of his dad and it's, mm. and like makes an amazing life for himself and says, how did you do that? And he says, well, my dad was an alcoholic. So it's like these two people had the same experience, but one takes it as like, I had no hope. And the other one takes it as like, this is exactly what I don't want to become. And like coming back to what you spoke about of those imprint years and, you know, how challenging that was for you and being in an environment like that, which is just, I would argue is one of the most important times, as you said, crucial times for like, you know, how, who you become or how you grow up to be as an adult and that that wasn't a defining moment for you to almost, for a lack of a better word, have the excuse to just not show up for yourself and that sort of thing. So how do you think people can take these opportunities and like overcome adversity in a sense that you're not using the difficult moments as like poor me, but Mm. one, being able to feel them and know that it's very fucking valid what you're going through. But secondly, actually taking responsibility for coming out the other side of that. So a really good exercise that I do with all clients, whether they're one-on-one or in group, is what's called the origin story. And the origin story for everyone is a collective of moments of peak, pivotal, pain, and proud moments. And what you'll find when you, and generally in that kind of zero to 25, so the first 25 years of your life. And what you'll often find is that when you write down those painful moments, when you write down those peak, pivotal, and proud moments, is they often shape the decisions that you make and the values that you hold in highest regard today. So, you know, I guess one of the compliments that I get is like, fuck, you're motivated. Um, and you never seem to not be motivated. Like, you know, what's, what's this, you know, hack or superpower, you know, that carry on that kind of people think that there's some kind of fucking amazing recipe for it. But the recipe really is that the, the pain drives my passion. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm everything that I went through, you know, whether it was my childhood experiences, whether it was, you know, the alcoholics in my family, whether it was the attempted suicide in my family, whether it was the, you know, emotional, physical beatings that I went through, like everything fuels the fire for me every morning. And, you know, when people are are struggling to find their motivation, I often kind of come back to, well, you know, what's your value hierarchy? Because your values 
you know, your motivation will lie in what you value the most. So if someone comes to me, you know, back in the day in the fitness space and like, fuck, I don't feel motivated for fitness. It's like, cool. Their concept is I don't have motivation. It's like, no, that's not actually the case. I'll be able to tell you where you find motivation. We just need to spend half an hour kind of working through your values. So, you know, if it is that you find yourself in the pity party or you find yourself, you know, lacking motivation, I think it's really a case of probably unpacking that origin story and finding out, um, you know, what's gone on through you, for you through those years. And in that, we'll often be able to find, um, you know, where your fire is. And I think, you know, while I wouldn't wish that home environment on anyone, I do think, it, I mean, it, it's the fuel for me every single day. So I am grateful in a very kind of roundabout, you know, cooked way that um, that has fueled me. And I'll never, you know, I don't think I'll ever have any problem with motivation because I've got that. And, you know, for me, that's one of the things that um, I get excited about um, connecting with people who I see motivated, you know, someone like yourself who I can see super motivated um, and really drawn into the work that they do is there's a reason for it. There's a reason for everything. So when you really connect with someone, you can often, you know, those real passionate people, you'll find that there's a story and a reason for it. And that's, um, you know, one of the bits of human behaviour that I really like. Anyone who's super motivated, super passionate, it all stems from somewhere. And often it's, you know, somewhat of a painful story, but one that that fuels them every day. I can resonate with that so deeply, like thinking about a lot of people that I know in the coaching space or, you know, friends that I have and stuff like that, who exactly as you describe are that really motivated or driven um, sort of energy. And I can't think of one of them that doesn't have a story to tell that kind of drives Mm. them through that, which is really cool. But for anyone who's maybe like listening and they're just listening to you right now and they're feeling so they're getting that hit of motivation and they're coming up on the high and they're like, yep, I want to make these changes, but they've been there time and time again. And as soon as that high drops, when the motivation's gone and Mm. they resort back to old habits, whether it's like, you know, going back to their addictions or going back to their, you know, detrimental behaviors and stuff, what's the missing piece that needs to happen from knowing what you want to actually being able to break through and execute when your patterns are trying to override that? Really good question. Great question. And to kind of bring it right back, I think one of the challenges for a lot of people is they carry a lot around a lot of shame around in knowing better but not doing better Mm. and it is one of the most common things when it comes to human behavior because we all kind of know better do you know what I mean we kind of know we should eat more broccoli and have less ice cream we all know that we should have more water and less alcohol so you know when you're breaking down the knowing better and and transitioning into the doing better often there's plenty of stuff that needs unpacking along the way Um, And I don't think you can necessarily have like one recipe that works for everyone, you know, but I guess the one recipe is looking to the root cause of like the why potentially, but also for some people being a little bit more fixated on the what. So the why is why do I do this? You know, why do I keep falling off? And it can lead to kind of that darker, heavier energy and almost that victim space. And then if you kind of transition that to, you know, almost more positive psychology of like, what like what do you want what do you want because if you get caught in story the whole time eg you know when i was four this happened while um it's worth processing you can get caught there cool let's work through it let's transition it into the what so one of the big things that's really 
worth understanding is our nervous system and the way that we're designed isn't designed for what's best. It's designed for what's most familiar. Yeah. So if you've seen, you know, your um, parents in a super dysfunctional relationship as part of your upbringing, your nervous system is wired to see that as what's familiar. So when you go into a really healthy, you know, secure attached relationship, your nervous system is probably going to be quite challenged. So I think kind of answering, you know, part of your question, and I'll um, go further on the, the rest of it in a sec, is to have a real level of self-inquiry as to like, oh, I feel like, you know, whatever the feelings are and use those as a compass. Because one of the challenges that we've created as a collective is, oh, I shouldn't feel that. Or, you know, you know that's a good feeling, that's a bad. And we start labelling things yes. and we start suppressing, distracting, whatever it may be. It's like, mate, like this is your human experience and how fucking amazing your body's talking to you and telling you mm, something doesn't feel right something energetically is not working for you, whatever it may be. So that's the first thing. Acknowledge everything that comes up and stop labelling it as like, I should, I shouldn't, whatever it may be. It's coming up for a reason. The second thing is to, you know, kind of almost break it down to some of James Clear's work is keep it really simple to start. Because again, your nervous system, if you if you go and make massive changes, you know, and you've, you would have seen it thousands of times of like, you know, the person that starts six fucking fat diets a year and falls off four weeks later and they're like, oh, that diet wasn't for me. And it's like, well, come, come back, come back. Who's the common denominator in these six attempts? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So taking a level of ownership of like, you're the common denominator. So let's not worry about the fat diets. You're the common denominator. What's going on here? So if you come back to some of James Clear's work of like, how can you break it down into a small bite-sized piece and nail that you know small being really important for your nervous system of like you know if you go from zero to 100 your nervous system is going to kind of get really shaky and you might find it hard to make that transition the other thing that you want to do from a habitual point of view is make things really easy that you want to work with and transition the things that um, you don't want to work with so to give you an example i've just started a new kind of supplement program and I've put my supplements literally right next to my food scales, you know, where I kind of weigh some of my food. So I like, it can't get any easier. They're right next to it. So I take them off, you know, because yeah. I haven't done supplements that well in the past. And then, you know, the other end of the scale, if I wanted to take something away, well, you know, don't have heaps of shit food in your house because you make it really accessible and easy to get, get to it. So make it really easy for me at the moment, my morning routine, which you know, it's almost 12 months now, and I've probably missed five days in 12 months, is meditation into journaling. And I've just added a thing called TRE, trauma release exercises, just to kind of work through some of that childhood stuff. Um, and my meditation chair's right next to my bed, my journal's under my bed, and then I can just do TRE on the ground. Like, that's hard for me to fuck up. They're literally within a one-metre square radius of where I wake up in the morning. So just making those small transitions is really important. I think the other thing that's really valuable is accountability. Like accountability itself can be really hard. You know, if you can find an accountability, a partner, a coach, whatever that may be, that that's invaluable in terms of staying on track. There's a really good bit of research around, you know, if you have one accountability partner, you're 800% more likely to have success in reaching your goals. 
And if you have an accountability group, you're 1,200% more likely. Wow. That's a pretty fucking good, like, that's, that's a good insane. strike rate. Yeah. And then to add on to that, a lack of self-awareness, you're 600% more likely to derail whatever it is that you're kind of working towards. So you put, like, those simple numbers together, you know, for me, building awareness is, is like 101. You put those three numbers together and, you know, you are kind of well on the way to having a lot more success than you may have had previously. And I guess the final piece to kind of wrap that all together is ownership. You know, firstly, you need awareness first because you can't own what you can't see. So we need to heighten that awareness. But to have that level of ownership, and I don't think that as a collective um, that we're that good at you know, full ownership. There's always someone else. There's a government. There's, you know, COVID, whatever it may be. There's always other reasons um, and other people who are to blame as opposed to kind of taking full ownership from ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And I am so glad that you spoke to that piece of like making it easy. And even, you know, with your morning routine of how you've got the chair right there and the journal under the chair and making everything easy. And, you know, with the James Clear stuff as well, of just keeping it simple. And it's so interesting because if we come back to that high that I was speaking about of like being on the high of motivation is often when we're on that high, we're like craving making it hard. Like Mm. we almost like want something big or drastic or complicated. And so when we're on that high, we set this thing up for ourselves, which is just so unrealistic and then when we come off the high no wonder it's so hard and easy to fuck up whereas like Mm. if you can be on that high and just ride and sit there and say okay I want to implement these 10 things but I'll just pull it back and just do this one or you know that sort of thing and just letting people know that it is just the easy stuff it's in the small moments that completely add up which I think is really interesting I would love to come back to when you were telling us a little bit about your journey and, you know, the filing for the bankruptcy and stuff like that. And Mm. something that kind of came up for me interesting in that is that would be so incredibly difficult for anyone, period, right? But what I would see is that it would be even more challenging for the masculine because of how that relates. Have you seen patterns in terms of finding certain challenges different for the feminine versus the masculine spot on it's it's a really good point obviously you know i know for you as a business owner it would it would be significant and there's definitely a piece like the masculine it's their everything that you know it's innate in our dna to you know have a, a purpose and a mission and to be the breadwinner and rightly or wrongly it's just everything so i've spoken about this kind of a number of times now on different podcasts and things like that the amount of times now that i've heard of like bloke blokes would prefer to literally end their life than wave the white flag of like you know filing for bankruptcy or liquidation or whatever it may be with business so you know when you file for bankruptcy it's almost like you know again rightly or wrongly it's almost like part of your manhood's gone Mm. and it's so disempowering it's almost you know in a, in a very roundabout way it's almost extremely emasculating as well there's that and then there's having a girlfriend at the time and you know like I, I want to be the provider I want to be able to take care of them and you know look after them and, and there I am just like having everything kind of stripped away from me it's the ultimate loss I think for for the masculine and um you know if you kind of go back to 
kind of the foundation of masculine versus feminine. The masculine is very driven in terms of their number one value by purpose, mission, and meaning, and the feminine by, you know, love, life force, radiance, and connectedness. So, you know, probably, again, you can't, you know, pile everyone into the same category by any means. Probably the 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 version for the, the feminine would be a divorce, you know, in terms of yep. the connectedness and the relationship being number one and maybe the breakdown of their family. For the, for the masculine, it would be their career path. So, you know, for the, for the women that are listening, that's probably um, the, the, the level of understanding, you know, in terms of what their number one thing would be. 100% and exactly what you said like you totally can't pile in everyone into a box but there are definitely huge like general trends that you see and I think it's really interesting for people to hear that you know the value of the masculine versus feminine can be so different and that the women need that love and connection first um, mm. in order to feel completely fulfilled whereas the masculine needs that purpose drive career um, that sort of space and mm. with that being such a huge discrepancy is how you cannot understand when you're, let's say, um, heterosexual relationships, if something's going wrong for your partner and you can't resonate with why that's an issue because it's not your primary. Whereas for mm. them, it's so very real and massive. And it's like, I see it all the time, even with people, you know, say um, the masculine being really stressed out at work or something like that. So driving further into the work and the feminine being like, you work too much and, you know, wanting that more of that love and attention, but realizing that he can't give that to her until he's feeling safe in his work environment. Mm. So, what would you say to, to, I guess, speak on the topic of communicating your needs when you're going through, you know, a huge challenge or even an up level, like whether it's coming from below the baseline to the baseline or at the baseline to above and you're going through a huge shift, like how do we communicate that to, you know, others around us? And then also how can we support others who might be finding something really big that doesn't feel like it's a big deal for us? Yeah, such a good question. So the, the first thing that I think we have a breakdown with in relationship potentially is understanding each other's maps and models of the world. So why that's important is because if we don't, we're very quick to project our map and model onto someone else. Yeah. So to give you a really basic example, let's say that, you know, I'm a extrovert and my number one value is, is connection and my partner's an introvert and their number one value is growth. It'd be really easy for me to, you know, speak to my partner and say, oh, you should, you know, you should read less and you should come out more and you should get around. Um, people and vice versa for her to say, well, you should like have more nights in and you should read more books, whatever it may be. And that would literally just be taken away from the fact that we're not respecting each other's maps and models of the world. So I think one of the beautiful things that can really take place in a relationship is a deep knowing of self, but also how can you support that deep knowing of the other person? Mm. So again, how can they support me to step into my highest values one two three four five if you're talking about you know some of Martini's work in terms of value hierarchy and vice versa how can I support theirs and also knowing that like no one person is meant to fill all your needs yeah you know like they're not meant to be your best friend yet you know the person that you have 
you know, an amazing sex life with, but also, you know, someone that you can go running with and someone who you can do MMA training. Like they're not, they're not your everything. So kind of working out what is, I guess, really significant and, and maybe non-negotiables. And then how can you either get those, you know, non-negotiables met from self or by other people in your, you know, immediate world as well. So that's really important. I think, you know, one of the things kind of coming back to what you said in terms of supporting each other is, you know, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of work with the Gottman Institute, which is, you know, a relationship group, um, John and Julie Gottman, who, you know, are internationally recognised um, as, you know, some of the best when it comes to relationships. And the ability to be really understood, seen, supported and heard is like heavily underrated you know, from my side of things, a real superpower as well. Like if you have the ability to be, you know, safe, seen, supported and hold that for your partner, then they can kind of manage their way through most things. And coming back to kind of what I said to you about my struggle is it really highlighted and not like it's it's no one's fault. We, we're not kind of given this instruction manual of like how do you support a bloke when he's absolutely having a fucking doozy of a time. Um, but the difference in terms of, you know, being seen in that struggle and, you know, what it looks like when you're not, because you're already in this absolute shit pit of shame. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's often just exacerbated by someone who doesn't know how to hold you in that space. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, like doing a lot of work with the masculine and the feminine, there's there's a real strong need and desire for the feminine to be seen safe and supported. And we, we all know that and, and how amazing that is when they, you know, feel that. It's very rarely spoken of the need for the masculine to feel that way. Um, and Alison Armstrong does really good work around this in terms of the, the significance of it actually working both ways. So kind of coming back to your question and potentially didn't answer, I can't even remember what it was, but understanding each other's maps and models of the world and how can you respect and support that and also developing the skills of being seen and being heard and being that safe supporting person for your partner. Those those things go a long, long way in allowing things to kind of unfold. It's super interesting and like even that, piece of how to know when you're actually projecting on them versus when Mm. you're when actually necessary or required so what would you say for people who and whether this is a romantic or a platonic relationship when you're kind of going through a transition and maybe it's either the person you're in a relationship with they're going through a transition and it might be quite a tough time Um, or maybe you're going through a transition and it's quite a positive time, but either way, there's kind of like a separation happening in terms of where you're currently at. Mm. How do you navigate knowing the difference between whether you are actually outgrowing a person or them being toxic versus you actually just being like, wow, this is too hard and kind of getting that superiority complex and throwing in the towel when it's not needed? It's such a good question. So I reckon this is probably the most common question I get asked, especially from the, the feminine and whether that's, I think that's probably reflective of society at the moment Yeah. in terms of the feminine doing more work when it comes to growth and the masculine. I'm excited to see that balance out soon, hopefully for, for everyone's sake. It's a really interesting one because I, 
I generally come back with three to four schools of thought and I'd love to have one and be able to have the, the final answer. Um, but I look at kind of D Martini's stuff around values and he's like, you should travel the world far and wide to find someone who, who has similar values to you, if not pretty much the same. So kind of coming back to, you know, one of the things you were mentioning is growth. Personally, for me, I couldn't date someone who wasn't a grower. I couldn't date someone who wasn't open-minded and I couldn't, you know, date someone who was judgmental and kind of exploring everything that life has to offer. I just couldn't. Yeah. Like, we, we wouldn't last very long. So that's kind of one school of thought. The other school of thought is, you know, almost by um, Don Miguel Ruiz, who is like unconditional love no matter what. So how do you support that person to, you know, flourish in whatever it may be? And I think that's a really challenging thing as well. Three biggest teachers are triggers and they're your partner, business and kids. So if you can kind of get your head around the fact that, you know, albeit not quite the love story that many people want, your partner is a growth partner. And there's a, there's a real, you know, you come back to some of the greatest thought leaders, they're of the belief that, you know, one of the primary reasons for a relationship is for growth. And, you know, it's very different to the love story that many people have got around relationships. But I really think it's a it's an amazing reframe of like everything that comes up is room for self-inquiry of like, you know, you see one one person growing and that really becomes quite polarizing for the other of like, are they going to leave me? What you know, what does this look like? And you know, your own shit comes up about a you know, abandonment, rejection, whatever it may be. And that's stuff you kind of heal and, and work on as opposed to, you know, finger pointing, accusations, assumptions, whatever it may be. So, you know, in the ebbs and flows of a relationship, that's going to happen, especially, you know, the type of people I'm sure listening to your podcast, they'd be growers, otherwise they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. So that I think is a super challenging thing that I'm sure you get, you know, from your clients and I definitely get from my clients and I'd love the perfect answer of is is it right, is it not? Um, but at this stage, I've just got those kind of three or four schools of thought for people to to sit with and, and unpack. Yeah, and it's almost like that conditional versus unconditional love piece as well in terms of like, I love you until you can't meet this need for me or I love you until you decide yeah. that you get this hobby which is taking you know time away from us or it's just this always I love you until you can't meet this need. So mm. something that I see really beautiful that happens when someone goes through a growth period and feeling like, oh, am I outgrowing my partner is just like getting curious about are you like outgrowing your partner or are you at a stage where your partner now isn't meeting a need that you used to have and how can you meet that need yourself? Mm, I think one of the things I'd, I'd probably reframe just slightly is instead of I love you until, it's probably I love you and this is the direction I'm heading. Because I think mm. a lot of people, you can love them and let go of them mm. knowing that it doesn't serve the newest version of you. Do you know what I mean? And that's, yep. that's a hard bit for people to really get their head around. Like you can lovingly let go. Like I love you unconditionally and here are the needs that I have in this new version of me. And that in itself is a big challenge. You know, I, I really like Esther Perel's work and she's, you know, she's got this kind of one line of like, I've had seven relationships and they've all been with the same person in terms of reinventing yourself and, and the dynamic of the relationship changing as well. So, you know, maybe you do still have unconditional love for that person and you can kind of, 
um, you know, transition that relationship into, you know, a friendship or you transition it into, you know, a different direction that you're heading as well. So I think that's a really good point that you make. Um, and to add to that, like you can still unconditionally love them knowing that your needs aren't getting met anymore. And that's, that's, a, that's a place for inquiry as well. Yeah, and just being able to communicate those needs as well because I think a lot of people uh, cut it short as a way to bypass having to have a challenging conversation as well, which is another interesting piece to bring into it too. But coming back to what you said about even like what we're seeing as a collective in a lot of women doing the work and Mm. um, that being really common. And the reason I ask the question is because it is something that I get asked all the time. I work all with females and I hear it all the time of like, I'm scared I'm, you know, at growing my partner. And one thing I I get a lot is um, my partner's kind of getting interested in doing some work, but there's still this slight stigma around guys doing the work. So what would you say for anyone listening um, who, whether we've, I, I do have some male listeners, so whether I've got a male listener or whether I've got a female listener who's, you know, wanting to support her partner or a friend or a brother or whatever through this, like how can men kind of move through that fear of what people are going to think of them to step into this space? It's a reason we started a men's business for this exact reason. So me and two mates started a men's business called Momentum. And for that exact reason, literally, you you, you took the words right out of my mouth. There's a stigma around men's work, and I reckon it's pretty valid. Do you know what I mean? Like up until now, it's, for me, been a pretty cringy space. And I'm a super open-minded bloke who loves personal development. So if I'm seeing it as a super cringy space, then, you know, Billy off the street who, you know, is dipping his toe in for the first time is going to be put off massively. So when we, you know, created Momentum, a part of it was like, how do we make it accessible, appealing and attractive to a bloke who's looking to dip his toe in for the first time and have him surround himself with other blokes who also might, you know, like to go to the footy, have a few beers and talk about, you know, emotional intelligence or talk about how their relationship's breaking down, whatever it may be. I think that we'll transition this stigma over the next three to five years. I think if you look, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, there was a stigma around, you know, dating online and the apps. And that was kind of, you know, slowly worn away. Five years ago, there was a stigma around mental health and that's been worn away. I think we're in a really nice um, period for everyone for the males you know we can't, we can't keep going like this you know six deaths a day at least around kind of suicide and that's just like the tip of the iceberg for me for what else is going on in terms of domestic violence and I think we're three to five years away from making it a very attractive space the men's work everyone wins men's mental health wins the kids win the next generation win win and you know just as importantly for me and you is the women win and you know, you obviously have seen that firsthand um, in terms of your clientele and I've seen it firsthand, you know, in the fitness space really of, you know, working probably about 80% women for 15 years and, and us having the same type of conversation. So I think that's a piece and, you know, I've always said if, if I've got a female client or a female that reaches out, the best thing that you can do is subtly slide it in front of them, whether it's yeah. momentum, whether it's something that they think will resonate. And often the case is for us, you know, when we're kind of jumping on calls with boys, is there's so much resistance until there's they've had one conversation. Like, fuck, oh, you're not, you're not like this weird spiritual guy who, you know, albeit we we do um, have our spiritual practices. You're not this kind of weird, you know, guy that is 
kind of freaking me out and I, you know, whatever it may be, you know, the story that they've created. So I think the stories that they've created are valid. And I think there's opportunities and options now starting to pop up where they're like, oh, you're kind of like me. Okay, I'll step in. And also offerings that meet the person where they're at. So there are a lot of really good offerings in the personal development space that are super like high level, super mm. high level. You can't have a guy who's never done any work go in and, you know, start eye gazing on morning one and, you know, doing doing kind of chakra clearing, you know, after lunch on day one either. Like you yeah. need to meet them where they're at. So those are a couple of thoughts around the uh, the men's space. Yeah, something that um, interestingly came like came through as well as when you were saying of just like gently putting them in, it in mm. front of them because I can see a lot of women um, and this isn't even speaking to relationships like this is whether it's your brother, your dad, your cousin, your partner, whatever is like them having men in their life who they want to support but sometimes they can just really be pushy in trying to get them to to do this thing because they they feel and they're projecting what they think is best for the person. So just being able to provide that safe space where it's like this is here if if you want it, like just leaving it on the table. So important. You know, I think one of the challenges for a lot of men and women is blokes don't want to feel pushed into it. Mm. And there's also that emasculating, castrating, ball and chain element. Yeah like almost energy that comes from often the feminine in those relationships. For a lot of blokes, there's real resistance around um, taking advice, you know, strange as this sounds, it goes well back, well back before this generation, taking advice from the feminine. Yeah. You know, like I could have, I could be working with, you know, a female client and she'll be complaining about, you know, her partner who, you know, she's been telling him the same thing for five years and it hasn't landed. And in the first 15 minutes of our conversation, I say the same thing. It's like, fuck, mate, that's a brilliant idea. I'm going to take that on board. And then he goes, oh, he goes back into his relationship. He's like, oh, I've got this great idea. And she's like fucking steaming and coming to me going like, I've tried this for the last five years. It took you 15 minutes and it's landed. So I think, you know, even coming back to the, the Gottman Institute, there's a real issue with accepting influence from the feminine in relationships and again it goes on for generations it's not like these guys consciously chose that it's you know indoctrinated from from day dot for a lot of them of like not accepting influence which definitely isn't healthy and I even look back on my relationships you know a lot of growth happened in the last couple of years but fuck my life would have been so much easier if I just listened to them they had so many answers that I just couldn't see at the time you know those blind spots that your wounded ego spends so much time deflecting and defending um i would have you know caused myself a lot less misery had i listened to you know such amazing insights from women that i've been with in the past but um yeah we've all got to learn our lesson often unfortunately especially for the masculine we have to hit rock bottom before we really you know take stock and start to learn Mm. yeah it's really interesting and i think a cool piece for men as well is just knowing that there's something really awesome that happens when you're in a container where someone can hold that space for you and it's Mm -hmm. not this weird energy of like having to feel like you're giving there's like a weird power dynamic or anything like that as well like my my partner's actually worked with a you know mindset coach and in that sort of space and how Mm. how that came to fruition for him was he just followed this guy on instagram and the guy actually dm'd him and was just like hey bro like 
want to get on a call? And he was just like, yeah, whatever, like had no real interest, got on a call and he was like, sounds all right, you know, like, and got in it. And the stuff that he did within that container isn't necessarily the stuff where I've been like, do this, do this. And he's ignored it. It's like stuff that I may not have even spoken to him about, but had I have done it, it just wouldn't have had the same impact. So like it's stuff where he was just like almost, um, yeah, felt really supported and encouraged in that space to try these things or explore different Mm. stuff, which is so cool to see. That's like, that's such a significant piece. Um, because firstly, I don't think it's great for your sex life for, for the, the feminine to be leading the masculine yeah. into doing the work. Like there's, there's resentment. There's this kind of almost mummy son dynamic that, mm. you know, power energy that can shift. And some things, you know, when you're working through them, just don't have to be brought to the relationship, you know, like some things you can just work through on your own or with, you know, other men. And I think there's a lot to be said for, blokes not leaning you know too heavily on the shoulders of their partner to to do the work and to lead the way and you know coming back to kind of some of David Data's work like ironically the masculine should be leading the feminine into a safe container um, to explore their edges and to kind of work through their stuff as opposed to the other way around which you know us as a collective have got it the other way around at the moment so I, I do you know having spent so much time with the feminine in terms of the coaching space um, and the training space before, I totally understand the frustration and the resentment that can be built up and, you know, potentially the, the, the lack of trust and safety in the masculine, you know, often stemming from even their relationship with their dad, yeah. you know, back in the day. I think we are at a really interesting place with polarity. So polarity being the need for polar opposites in a relationship. Um, in terms of strengthening the masculine and the feminine, I think the feminine is coming more, more towards a masculine energy. And, and a big part of that is the feminine working, which is more a masculine energy. And the masculine moving more, more towards a feminine energy, um, which isn't great for that polarity. Mm. And I guess something for us all to be mindful of, of what can we do to, you know, if we're, if we're feminine and we are, you know, girl boss mode, what can we do to strengthen the feminine? And if we're masculine and finding ourselves, you know, edging more towards that feminine energy, albeit a healthy integration of the feminine is, is really healthy. But like if we're moving more towards that feminine, how do we strengthen that kind of masculine to maintain polarity in the relationship as well? Yes, such such an interesting piece. What are some ways in which you see people can kind of step back into more deep integrity with their core energy? Yeah, it's a big one. So from, from a masculine point of view is, you know, you come back to what we, we spoke about right at the start. If you are aligned with your, your passion, purpose or mission, the masculine will come out. It will come out strong. And there's a really good one-liner of like, you can't, if you're not penetrating the world with your passion, purpose, or mission, you're not going to penetrate your partner properly. I love that. And I feel like that's significant. Like if you haven't got that fire in your belly and that look in your eye of like, I'm on a mission, you're not, you're not the best version of yourself. So I think there's a lot to be said as well. And, and I appreciate from the feminine point of view, the real desire to feel connected. And that's a significant piece. And knowing that he does need to find his mission for him to be the best version of himself. There's a real piece for a lot of the masculine around forgiveness around the father and in terms of healing whatever that might be that they've got kind of um, under the surface, a need to get around good, healthy, conscious men. And not just men that you go, 
you know, in the pub, we'd have a beer and just like talk surface level, like men who are going to hold you accountable, you know, bring to light your blind spots um, and have you step up. Like those are some real kind of healthy ways from the masculine. I think from the feminine, for a lot of us, we're quite one dimensional. And that will mean that we do relationships the same way that we do business, that we do mum life, that we do friendships. And that can mean that you find yourself doing life as a masculine, you know, especially if you're spending eight to 10 hours a day at work. So, you know, one of the significant pieces around that is how do you transition? How do you transition out of the masculine once you've left work into, you know, that softness, that feminine, that flow, whatever that looks like to you outside of it? So it might be that, you know, if you are girl boss mode for 10 hours a day, What's that transition period look like when you're going home? Do you need some music that kind of gets you dancing and gets you into your body? Do you need silence that helps you decompress? Do you need to go and have a shower and, you know, do something kind of nice that softens you back into your feminine, which might bring you into, you know, your your girlfriend mode, wife mode, you know, mum mode, whatever it may be. And knowing, you know, whether it's states, whether it's archetypes, um, you know, whatever you kind of want to categorise it, what brings out the best version in, in you? So what I mean by that is, you know, if you're kind of, I guess, flipping it back to the masculine for a sec to give a really easy example, is if I'm training warrior, so kind of going into archetypes just briefly, warrior energy would be a much better energy for me in training. Mm. If I'm in a relationship and we're having like, you know, we're, we're super connected and we're kind of having a moment, then like a lover energy would be a much better space for me to be in. And if those two were around the other way, like I was in lover mode when I'm training, it's not going to be a great session for me. That's not the best energy for me and vice versa. Maybe there's a place for warrior mode in relationship depending on what's happening from a chemistry and dynamic in that moment. Um, but if I was in that the whole time, that wouldn't be appreciated, guaranteed. So just knowing how to transition, and I guess, you know, coming back to your kind of original question from the feminine point of view is how can you start to play with different energies depending on the environment that you're in and what's most conducive to that environment? Yeah, so, so fascinating. And I think something that has come up a lot throughout this kind of like um, podcast is purpose which is interesting because we've put so much emphasis on the need for purpose. And this is like human, just humans, but especially that masculine. But the interesting thing is that there's such a need for this, yet so many people are lacking it or don't know how to find it. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people think that the only way you can get it is through work full stop, which I think is a very significant way, especially for the masculine. But what is purpose to you and how do we start connecting or quote unquote finding it? Mm. It's so for me, this, this will sound counterintuitive to many people, is that often finding that purpose can happen in stillness, silence, solitude, and surrendering. And I know for me, when I was in that absolute funk that, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the relationship that I had at the time. And naturally for her, she, you know, I think, although we haven't spoken about it, the relationship transitioned a long time ago, but we'd never kind of spoke about the fine details. But I think for her, there was a real, like a real fear. Understandably, I'm not providing, I don't know what I'm doing. And I think, you know, one of the things that's that happened was because, you know, obviously I felt a, a strong level of shame and guilt myself and I wanted to be the provider for her and I wanted to kind of get my shit sorted. And ironically, like I was trying to reinvent myself as quick as possible, you know, taking on jobs that weren't aligned, 
hence the reason, you know, in part that I got fired from three jobs. But also it actually wasn't until I surrendered, albeit for me feeling quite disempowered by that choice, that it literally landed a week after. So for a lot of people, when they're trying to find this purpose piece, it's like do, 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 like just, you know, try. And there's a lot to be said for like pushing the edges and can you dance that with the ability to, you know, have stillness, have silence, have solitude and surrender and just see what comes in, you know, in that being often bits, especially from the feminine who are more in touch, often those parts will drop in and even going for a walk with a good girlfriend yesterday similar thing for her she's like trying to create and trying to find answers and I'm like just you know maybe it's when you're out in the surf that something lands and it might not be the full piece but it might be a piece maybe it's when you're in nature and I know for me you know I did a thing called Vipassana which is a 10-day silent meditation retreat the like the goal that dropped in then was phenomenal absolute phenomenal just bits that like made sense after 12 15 years that I just couldn't get my head around so there's a lot to be said for that and I think you make a really significant point. Like purpose doesn't necessarily have to be career and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, money related. Like even for the, the masculine, maybe their purpose is to, um, you know, they work hard and their purpose, you know, there's a piece around funding a village in a, you know, third world country or something like that. Maybe the purpose for the, the, the feminine is kids, but also in reversal, you know, I think for some women, they feel bad of like, fuck, I don't like want kids or like, I don't feel like this is what I was put on this planet to do. Yeah, It's almost this shame and guilt of like, oh, you should do A, B and C and your life should look like, you know, D, E and F. It's like, nah, like what feels true to you? And, you know, this has become a really um, significant piece for me of like really getting in touch with you. You know, like trusting that you have all the answers within. Can you access those? And can you strip away the pattern, the programming, the indoctrination, the beliefs that you've taken on board from your parents, from society, from social media, through mainstream media, all the bullshit, strip it away and work out like what is true to you and being so sure of self that you're like, I have the answers, I have the wisdom, I have the inner knowing. It's just my ability to tap into it. A really powerful way you just put that is the actual stripping away because what I see a lot of the time when people are trying to find their purpose is adding on, like trying to learn Mm. more, do more, and it's just layer after layer when actually it's not about adding on or doing more. It's actually about pulling back and letting all of those layers shed. Um, And really cool how you just said like where is that part where it drops in because for me it's always a shower like – if I can have a shower where I'm not thinking about what I got to do or dinner going to be cooked or, and I'm just like in the shower. And even like last night I had to jump out early because I was having all these downloads and I was like, I'm going to forget them. And I pulled out the notes on my phone, quickly wrote them down, jump back in. So it totally is. It's in these still moments. And the other part of that is that I see, especially with the feminine is knowing how you receive those downloads as well. In terms mm. of some people receive them through soundboarding and talking about their ideas and as they're speaking they're like really hearing that or some people just get an inner knowing or you know they see it and like everyone has these different senses in how they receive that information so I think knowing how you receive that and then what environments kind of stimulate that for you spot on and for me it's running Mm. um that like (laughs) and I really shouldn't stop 
and um, put notes in my phone. But every now and then I'll have to slow down my running and try try to keep running while I've just come up with an idea or something's landed for me. But I think there's, um, you know, there's something maybe like the five Bs of like bed, bath, beach, bus, and maybe like boredom or, or something like that that often are the ones that stimulate. And I've had the same thing, like when I'm just like chilling at the beach with no intent or nothing, something will land. So I think that's, you know, a really significant point that you make of like know where your bits drop in and use that. And even coming back, to, I guess, to the masculine feminine dynamic is because so much of what we do from a work point of view is masculine, having structured, unstructured time can be significant for the feminine in terms of the creative or something landed. So what I mean by that is maybe you've got, you know, back-to-back meetings for six hours and then you've got two hours where, you know, it's structured, but it's actually unstructured. So two-hour block where you just like do whatever comes up and that allows the feminine to flow a little bit easier or for the creative to come up and come through you, whatever it may be. So allowing those times to really tap into, you know, what is true to you, what's coming through you and just taking that as, you know, taking that as gospel, not necessarily someone else's opinion, taking your truth as gospel. And, you know, at such a young age, you're led to believe that your truth isn't that. Mm. And for a lot of people, it's getting back in touch with like, fuck, like I know, I know deep down the truth. I know whether this relationship feels right or wrong. I know, you know, this is the path that I want to take. And there's so much doubt in your inner knowing. And it's actually, you know, for whatever reason, it's become a real piece for me, especially with my female clients of like, let's just get you back in touch and let's get you back, you know, trusting yourself. Even yesterday with a client who, who um, you know, this is a big piece for her. It's like, you know, she's found herself every time she goes out for dinner asking everyone else for their opinion of what they should eat. And I'm like, just like trust you know, when you're in your body, look down the menu and when you're in your body, something's going to jump out of you. Like, let's start small. Let's not talk about, you know, your ability to tap in when you're trying to make a life-changing decision. Let's, like, work out, is it pizza or pasta tonight? We'll start small. Yes. It's so so interesting and we get so caught up thinking that we don't know and we want to ask other people but we always know and we can we can mm-hmm. trick ourselves into thinking we don't but we do and I had a mentor who taught me this really good question to ask and I love it so much and it's like if you did know what would you know mm. and it's like giving yourself well guess then because 99% of the time if you guess your intuition is the one guessing and you do know so yeah Absolutely incredible advice. Blake, this has been so juicy, such an incredible episode. So thank you so much for your time. But I would love to know if anyone's listened and has just really resonated with what you've had to say, where can they find you and how can they get involved in what you're doing? The best spot would probably be social media, Blake Royal Thompson for, for the Instagram. And I think the big thing, and I say this every time I you know have one of these conversations, is the most important thing is to find the right fit for you. So, you know, while some of us are really hell-bent on um, doing the work, which is an amazing thing, I think the best thing you can do is sit on someone, like in terms of watch watch the content, see if it resonates, see if you're a good fit for each other, and then make a decision as opposed to jumping from one book to another or coach to another. Really sit with it and feel it. And if it's a good fit, reach out. And if not, hopefully there's plenty of little nuggets through my social media that I provide anyway. Amazing. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thanks, Jesse.